Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com. Woodhill Community Center. Have a hand in the heart of the city. Support their mission with your donations at WoodhillCommunityCenter.org. Toyota in Nicholasville Superstore. Online consultants are standing by right now to help you find your next Toyota. Visit ToyotaOnNicholasville.com. Lexus of Lexington, home of the best-selling Lexus IS. Find yours today at LexusOfLexington.com. Did you know that half of America is single? Hollywood has never produced anything like this before. The Dating Project, a groundbreaking documentary that follows five single people, ages 18 to 40, as they search for authentic and meaningful relationships. There is no script. There are no actors. These are real people trying to find love and happiness in an age of swiping left or right. From Empower Pictures, Paulist Productions, Family Theater Productions, and Pure Flix. You can now own The Dating Project. Save the date by visiting thedatingprojectmovie.com and go a step further and help others in your circle date differently by partnering with Ascension Press. Visit shop.ascensionpress.com to acquire the companion study guide. The Dating Project movie is now available on DVD and digital download on Amazon, iTunes, and Walmart. Please visit thedatingprojectmovie.com for details. Hi, this is Luke Burgess. Welcome to the Enscapes podcast, where we explore stories of personal calling. Very excited today to be with Andreas Widmer. Andreas is a former Swiss guard and author of the excellent book, The Pope and the CEO, where he talks about the leadership lessons that he learned from Pope John Paul II. Andreas has been an entrepreneur for many, many years, and currently he is the founder and director of the Sioka Center for Principled Entrepreneurship at the Bush School of Business at Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., and he brought me in as an entrepreneur in residence. So I'm very, very honored to work with Andreas. And the work of our center is to be a resource for Catholics who have a vocation to business or who want to understand church teaching when it comes to business. So very much looking forward to this podcast today. Hey, this is Luke here with Andreas at the Bush School of Business in Washington, D.C. We're in our offices, and I'm really excited that we're having this conversation today. Andreas, thanks for doing this with me. Thank you, Luke. Glad to be here. Glad to have you here. So this is a bit weird for me, only because we're good friends and colleagues, and we talk about current events in business all of the time, from Facebook to Amazon, you name it. And I wish we had some of those conversations recorded because... They're pretty interesting. They can get interesting. But I'm glad we're recording this one because what we're talking about today is so important. It's the vocation of business. And of course, there's not just one vocation of business. You've had a very unique calling within the world of business, and it's very different than mine. So I want to talk a bit about that today. How did you get into business in the first place? And 
when did you realize that business was in fact a vocation and that you had a personal calling within that? Yeah, it's good. I, I'm glad you're doing this. I think there's too, too few people talk about this, so I'm glad you are. Thank you. Because if I look at my own life, the way, see, at the age of, in Switzerland, it's of course a little younger, but at the age of about 16, 17, we had to make a, a choice of what we would want to do for work. And I approached this all the wrong way, maybe because of my hard-headedness or maybe because I didn't get quite the guidance I, I wish I could have gotten. But I thought of saying, well, what am I good at or what can I do or who would have me? And vocation wasn't on my mind, fulfillment, all that. And, and I actually ended up uh, getting into sales management, which was actually which was a good fit for me. But I did it because that's what I got. Like I could do it. Somebody hired me to do it. If they would hired me to do something else, I would have done something else. So it was a haphazard process. I went through this and I, I did the military and the Swiss Guards and everything. Even there, I wasn't sure, I wasn't conscious of vocation itself. It wasn't until I sort of have a, had a Catholic reversion where I started to think of the priesthood. And that's the first time I started to consider vocation. I think that's a very common thing in the world. I think you write about this quite a bit, which is, in a sense, regrettable. Yeah. Was that after you'd been working in that sales position? Yes, it was during the Swiss Guards, like the second year of the Swiss Guards, I had this reversion into Catholicism. Mm -hmm. And I started to say, you know, St. Francis's sentence, I had this poster up on my wall, Lord, what would you have me do, right? And that's that's vocation. Mm -hmm. But to me at the time, that only meant the vocation to the priesthood. And in a sense, I was begging God for this. Like, let me do this, let me do this. This is what I want to do, you know? And um, it turned out that that was and I got guidance and I started to pray a lot. It's the highest level of prayer I ever did in my life. And it worked because during the height of that prayer is when I met Michelle. And the second, because I kept saying, praying, tell, you know, show me what you would have me do. And I met her and, and my secondary vocational calling was decided right then. The, the minute I met her, I knew. And, and I think that was a, a result of the prayer. And then, uh, I left the guards and I came to America and I went back to my old way of doing things, of saying, well, who would have me? <laughs> and the company who would have me actually said, well, we can't really pay, but you know, speak all these languages. And so I started in this company that turned out to be a software company, a cutting edge startup, like that was 1990. And it was FTP software who ported TCPIP to the PC. And I didn't do it, I didn't start there as a vocation. But as soon as I joined, there was something different. I started to learn about the internet and about open software, about heterogeneous rather than closed systems. You know, the, the internet task force where you could suggest changes to the code of the internet and then everybody would jo join in and we could better the internet as we, as we went along and how this was all open. And to us, we started to pursue, there was this feeling at this company that we pursued this dream. FTP stands for File Transport Protocol, but we always told people that it stands for Fund That Pays. <laughs> you know, when I worked there. Yeah. And we just so, I tell you, I would go to work at 3 a.m., 4 a.m. to deal with Europe, and then go to my lectures during class, and then go back in the evening to deal with Asia. In the morning, I'd deal with Europe, in the evening with Asia. 
And um, I had so much fun. I, I felt like time went away. I was in the zone for the whole time. I just totally loved it. This is the first time that I started to feel that my work was so absorbing that I wouldn't call this work. People say, how could you have worked throughout college and all of this? That was no problem at all yeah. because it wasn't really work, was You'd it? You do it for free. I, you know, I did it for free to begin with. Yeah. I mean, it was shares, but that, that didn't mean anything. It was before yeah. all of this. And um, I just loved it so much that it took a while for me to realize what this was. And once we went public, it changed because then it wasn't about the fund that pays anymore. It became very formal. They hired a new CEO who, and we had to live according to Wall Street expectations, some analysts, and I mean, all this stuff. And I actually didn't like this at all. And I remember telling Michelle, my wife, that I got to get out of here. This is suffocating me. This is yeah. just not it anymore. Quite a few of us did. And I left and I found another team that did this, again, in the software field. Dragon System, it's a husband and wife team that invented speech recognition and, and it was right before they came out with the continuous speech and there was again the dream like we i just loved to change the world with this i tell you we had this vision that people who could who would be disabled in some way or the other could suddenly use a computer and and then with the internet they could actually mm. communicate with everybody around the world and and that as devices would get smaller we we said, well, eventually you have to type with a toothpick and so on. This is some of our language that we used and that this is just really great. And again, I, I just worked. Time went away. I was in the zone. And then that whole company blew up. We sold it. The people who bought it were fraudulent. And the whole thing went away. And then I experienced, first of all, I mean, you lose so much money. You sort of get depressed. Uh, you start to question everything. Is this system that we have of business and uh, this democratic capitalism, is this evil? I went into a, a pretty dark period there. But that's when I started to figure out vocation, really. And you know what had happened? Is in this period of me not working, in a sense being unemployed, not, not like formally, you know, unemployed, like, but not working, I started to see what, what I'm lacking when I'm not working. And I started to make sense of that my work is not just for money and in a utilitarian sense. And I started to see a part of my essence going away and me not being in the zone anymore. And I started to see what vocation means truly. And it was, you know, it, I, I find it a beautiful end result, but a very painful path to go figure this out. And I went back to reading, you know, based on the failure of the company and you know, I had some very down times there. I went back and I, I studied business strategy and theology mm. and to go back to figure this out. And actually, I put the two things together and did, that, that pretty much equals to, to vocation in a broader sense, right? And, yeah. and because of the theology, I started to see the spiritual meaning in this, in this secondary vocation of work. And I started to see the parallels to the primary and universal uh, vocation. And I, I think it was a, a lot of what JP2 wrote that shaped my vision and my understanding of, of vocation. And today I, I look at my work mostly, and then that of others like you, we, you and I, we work together, mostly in terms of vocation, of, of complementarity. Like yep. you and I, we complement each other. We have a lot of overlap, but we're also different. Yep. 
And so the trick here is to find a way that one and one is more than two. Like yeah. us together are more than two. Yeah. That's vocation. Like that's when we're, we work together, we actually become more. And I look at vocation today like that. And, and I look at work like that, not primarily in revenues or anything. These are all side effects, good ones, but mm-hmm. side effects. So I run my life and I would run my company very differently today than I did in the past. Yeah. You know, I, I've also had a, a company totally blow up and I went through a similar period. We've talked about this a bit before where I was actually tempted to a form of business nihilism. I don't know mm-hmm. how else to explain it. And it's, I put in so much work into this company, and at the end of the day, nothing came out of it. So what does anything really matter? And I also yeah. had so much money that I never really had to you know, like check my bank account and make sure that I could afford something. So I, I actually lost a, a perspective about what money actually was and, and, and all of those things. So that's how they say that... that um you know, this sounds very strange to some of the people listening to what, what you're saying right now, but that just shows that, you know, when we talk to the students to say, well, money doesn't make happy, trust me, believe me, then most students say, well, let me find out by myself. Let me say, find out for myself. Yeah. But the truth is, look around you and look at the wealthiest people you know and see how they're doing and the amount of drugs and nihilism that they have that the overall happiness, and I, I like this world that you have this, this, this business nihilism or nihilism, is that when it doesn't mean anything, because the money ha- would have to mean something too, it is for an end. Right. These are all means. Yeah. If there's no end, which is a vo- what a vocation is, then the whole thing becomes pointless, nihilism. Exactly. And no, no amount of money is ever going to fix that. There's people who look at some artists, look at some... Musicians, look at some people who, and, and I use those because those are famously areas of work where you make very little money, you know, the, the actual artists and so on. And they're totally happy mm-hmm. because they're doing, their work means something to them. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, you have a banker on Wall Street who makes millions and millions of dollars and they hate themselves and they don't know what to do and they get into drugs and everything because they don't have that meaning. And what you and I are challenged to do in the class is to spare this experience to the students to somehow convince them that they believe us that as a first-hand account that we can convince people that this is really so. It's so important and I want to get to it because you and I co-teach a class or are going to start to co-teach a class in the fall called the vocation of business and we can talk a little bit about that and we, you know we talk about complementarity mm-hmm. this is new for you and it's definitely <laughs> new yeah. for me so it'll be interesting. We'll it'll be very new for the students. Be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I want to stay with that idea of questioning, is something wrong with business or is something wrong with the free market because bad things happen? I think it's really important to probe that a little bit because I there was a certain point in my life where I started to question because mm-hmm. I lost a lot of money and there was no narrative that explained it to me. So how can we understand the free market better using the idea of vocation and personal freedom? I mean, it, yeah. is that almost like a secret key that can help us to understand how capitalism and, and how markets yeah. actually work? So the way we can understand it is that our vocation is sort of to to co-create with God, right? To, to say God started the world with the, you know, 
in this poetic language of the garden of Eden and everything and started to create and everything. And then at the end, God creates us as his stand-in, as our, our his image and likeness. And we are sent into this garden, the world, and say, okay, continue, continue creation. So we go and we create, we put two plants together and we create some new pill that might take away the headache or we create cha- you know, chairs and tables out of the trees and things like this. And so what we see there is the vocation is on the one hand to create something, but at the same time, the same vocation is also our imitation of God, which is the spiritual side of it. JP2 calls it the subjective and objective dimension of work. So if we misunderstand it and then don't see it as a vocation, and vocation in a sense is always that your mission from God is like the Blues Brothers, right? Uh, you're on a mission from God because you have a higher meaning. Then you have to take subjective and objective. And the important thing is also not to separate them because we're incarnate spirits. And so to say that our, our vocation is that, we have to take the two things together. Now, if you make the mistake and you take one or the other thing out, if you only do a spiritual side of it, you can fall into that temptation of saying, well, I deny the world. Actually, this is in a sense a form of clericalism where only the higher thing works is, is valuable and the other one not. And by the way, I don't think clericalism just comes from the clerics. It's no. just as large, if not larger, from the other side who puts them somewhere else and sort of excludes them in a sense. But that's not my point here. My point is if you separate the two, you get to this nihilism on the one side and this clericalism or spiritualism on the other side. And bringing the two things together is when John Paul says that we don't just make more, but we become more. Namely, we become more like God. And if you become more like God, you become more holy. And if you do it in the way that God created you, that's a very unique way, then you become saintly, a saint. Mm -hmm. And then eventually that leads to heaven. Now, that's not the only vocation you have. You have, of course, three vocations. But we're talking about this secondary vocation. And I think that's a to our detriment are our young people not taught that. And this is why I think it's so good with Unrepeatable in your book. You make this so explicit. Like there are other books who touch on it. I think Ralph Martin writes a little bit about this and he touches on it, but nobody comes out like you say, like your idea of a vocation. What do you call it? Like a vocations director in every parish or something. Yeah. And you mean vocation your way, not in the old way of personal vocation yeah not exclusion business or vocation because at the end of the day guys what we're after is not just having more priests we're after having more saints actually we all want saints and if we help young people all of them find their vocation of course we'll have more priests and religious naturally it it will just happen yeah it's like having a bunch of seeds in the ground and and you water all of them them. and some of them will will sprout and become i'm really glad you're talking about this dualism because when it comes to business and vocation i've seen it so many times I have friends who are very, very serious Christians that are in business, and I think our temptation can be to have this complete spiritualization Mm -hmm. of our vocation in business, which really can make us really bad at business and not create value in the market, right? Yeah. Because God also gave us brains and he intends that, exactly. that we use them. And there are certain yeah. laws in the market and, you know, it's good to pray. Yeah. It, it's good to have this rich spiritual life. But we're also in the world. And, and yeah. of course, the opposite is true. If you know, it's yeah. only about business. And, you know, I know it's somewhat semantic, but, but I mean it that I, I don't think there should be nonprofit organizations. Think about this. In America, we call it nonprofit because 
in, in Europe, they call them NGOs, mm-hmm. non-governmental. Think about what you, you're mentioning, what you care about there. On this one, I like what the Europeans do better, non-government. I actually would just say, call them all companies. Because a company by itself should do what God does, of creating goods that are truly good and provide services to truly serve. This whole idea of government or non-government, profit or non-profit, is in a way ludicrous because you're totally measuring the wrong thing. God never created anything that isn't profitable, right? Everything is profitable. And so neither should we. The question should be, how are you making profit? Is it a good way? And how much profit are you making? And is it fair? And then what are you doing with the profit? Those are the three questions you need to ask. Yeah. Not are you for profitable or not. If you're not profitable, you're not aligning your resources in a productive way. And why would anybody want that? Yeah, I, I know nonprofits that make a lot of money. They call yeah. it surplus or something, yeah. right? It's nonprofit. But it, it just means that they're adding yeah. value. Right? Now, I think what we could make a case for are things like the church, you know, the relief services. Those are charities. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, see, there again, a charity, that's fine. It's a philanthropy, a charity. And charity means I'm giving something away. You start with a dollar and you give the dollar away and then you have no more dollars. Yeah. That's different. That's not, a, that's not a non-profit because non-profits don't do that. Non-profits keep regenerating money. And so I know it's a little bit semantic, but I just I drive it because it makes the point that we're focusing on the wrong thing. And a lot of this has to do with also focusing on on the wrong side of vocation that if we really look at the business as a vocation then this whole talk about for a non-profit really should go into the background yeah i totally agree and i wish i had had a course like the vocation of business when i was an undergrad i went to a good business school but i never heard any of this stuff of course Mm -hmm. and it's so important so in terms of this class that you know you started to teach what has it been four or five years Mm -hmm. now since you've been teaching yeah five years how did that come to be? Where, where did that idea come from? I mean, because your, your vocation has taken different twists and turns. You've, yeah. you've started a nonprofit. You've done work in Africa. You've, you've started very valuable companies. And now here you are at Catholic University teaching a course called the Vocation of Business. Yeah, and, and in a way, we started, we started this, this business school. That's why I came here when we started the School of Business and Economics at CUA. And there were a few people around the table. The guy who founded the whole thing, Andrew Bella, we all know. And he basically said, I wrote this book to Pope and the CEO, which is similar but complementary to Unrepeatable. And he said, look, I'm teaching. And he was actually teaching this before when the, when the business, uh, when there was a department here in arts and sciences. And he says, why don't you create a course around that? And that's how I came up with this, that I didn't really want to take my book in a sense as a course book because it's not quite how I wrote it. But I took all the lessons out of it and said, okay, here's how I would teach it then. Mm. And to turn it into the vocation, because, you know, and here I'm not a teacher, I'm not an academic. What I thought was, and what I learned from actually from Phil Brock, who's another guy here, his dad was was a lifelong professor. And and when Phil started to teach, his dad told him, you can teach three things. And every course you can look at, and there's three things only you can teach. You can teach skill. You can teach knowledge, and you can teach attitude. And, and I thought that was very true, if I think about it. And when I thought back over all the hires I made and where I benefited or, or didn't in my own career, I would say that attitude is the big neglected one because attitude is everything. Attitude, in a sense, is culture, character, virtue, your will. 
Mm-hmm. You know, JP2 always says you can't want for another person, and that's attitude. It is increasingly difficult in the marketplace to hire people with good attitude, good character, and so on. Yet, I tried in my career to hire character over skill, because I can teach you anything, but not character. But here we are in school, and so how could I influence your attitude, your character? And the question then was, when do you start this? And we very quickly came to the conclusion that this is the first thing we're going to teach you when you come here. Before I teach you accounting, before I teach you marketing, before I teach you finance, before I teach you management, I'm going to teach you what this is all about. So every incoming freshman to the Bush School of yeah. Business takes a course called the Vocation. And it business. became very large, very quick. Was it always called the Vocation of Business? Yeah. That was always a name? Yeah. Okay. And it became very big, very quickly, and which is a challenge. But we also, we, we meet it by, by creating also labs and, and groups and so on. But still, I'm trying to hold on to it and now, and now with you to make sure that they get a united message. This is why we're not splitting and teaching two different courses, that we all teach the same thing. We go through this together. I, I'd rather have more classes and split it mm-hmm. than having different teachers for it because I think the students need to have a comprehensive, a coherent story on this. And we literally go through... I see, we're thinking alike because you said the same thing. Well, I wish... I would have had. That's exactly how I created this course, to say, I wish somebody would have told me this. Or to say, you know, when JP2 told me X, Y, and Z, that was a milestone in my life. And so I'm telling them. And some of this is comfortable, and some of this isn't. And some of it I know some students will hear it, and it will bear fruit. And some students will hear it and think, this guy's an idiot. (laughs) You know, <laughs> why, is, why is he saying this? It's also, it, they're so trained to be trained and educated in skill and in knowledge that when you teach attitude, they're thinking you're not teaching mm, yeah. because that's not being taught. Yeah. And so yeah. our challenge is to actually get them used to being taught something that that is forgotten today. Nobody teaches this. Right. Well, I had the pleasure of sitting in on a lot of the classes that you taught last semester. So I was with the students and... I could tell when they perk up and they start paying attention. And one of the things that you do very, very well, and you're a great public speaker, but you speak in a very personal way about stories from your life. And I'm thinking in particular about the time when you were in the Swiss Guard and you talk about the moral compass. And, you know, that's one of the very first things that you talk about in the class. You know, the the idea for this, I got from John the 23rd who said, nobody's interested in your theories. <laughs> you know, he's like, I'm the Pope here. Yeah, nobody wants to hear me wax on about theology or something. What they want is a witness. Right. And man, is that true. And so everything, I mean, we're doing this. Everything we do, we try to turn it into a story or take the story example because we're so curious about each other and it makes you so vulnerable. They're not used to that. No, because you're not an academic and I'm not an academic. Yeah. So you get up there and you're like, I'm a businessman. I have nothing to hide. This is not what they expected yeah. their, their first semester in, in college. It is. Uh, they do a double take. So I'm six foot nine, like 260 pounds. I'm a big guy. And I'm up there and I'm completely vulnerable. Yeah. See, never let that – an opportunity, like you don't let this just go by without getting something for it. And what you're getting for it is to deposit the lesson – of attitude. These are tender moments in a sense when you can be so vulnerable that they're vulnerable with you. And when they follow you that way, emotionally, you should deposit something. And I think that's how we teach attitude. And then attitude, you can also teach. See, most of the time, 
lots of attitude or, or character that I learned in the military. I'm not allowed to do that to the students, right? Yeah. I mean, they would fire me here. So, so you have to find other ways to make them go through something difficult on the, on the more physical side. So, you know, we're now going to experiment with maybe doing something on the makerspace. And I'd like to get them do more things physical, maybe with their hand and to do something. And we just talked about this motorcycle thing. Yeah. Maybe we could do something like fixing stuff, mm-hmm. which on the basic level, again, on the objective level, is the physical aspect of fixing it. But on the subjective level, it is to overcome your physical limitations and to overcome, to make your will, to force your will to do Discipline. something that your body doesn't want to do. Mm-hmm. And we need to find more ways to do this, which is how character is being built. And so that's a challenge. And this is why you and I, I mean, we're, this isn't like a static course where we're going to do the same thing. With, you know, for the first five years and now as with you here, we ke- I keep reiterating it and saying, how can this be better? How can it be different? I don't want to get stale myself in doing it. And now with Unrepeatable, we're going to suck this whole thing in and just because it's all we're doing a mashup in a way it's the same idea but we're doing this in different ways and you turn it turn it i want it to be interesting for me too i can't be authentic if it's not interesting yeah 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 i mean i i think the course is is powerful and i think you know the fruits of that can be seen i mean the, the course culminates in a moral compass paper where the students reflect on now that's when it's their turn to be vulnerable that's their turn and they are very vulnerable and and you know you're the only one that reads those papers that's a guarantee and you know but i've been thinking a lot about this idea of moral compass and what it is and at the end of the day i think that one's moral compass is their personal vocation so i think every person comes to a crossroads in their life where they're going to be faced with certain choices and it's not like one choice might be really evil or really sinful and the other choice it's usually not that easy where there's like good and evil before you and if you don't understand what your moral compass is you're going to have a really hard time making those choices it's not black and white or the easy ones you know to say am i going to steal a million dollars or am i or, or make a million those are not the difficult ones the difficult ones when you're deep in the forest and it, it really there's no light and all and, and then you say which way am I going to go in this very confused situation to begin with and there's no clearly wrong or right answer. That's where we live, the gray zone. That's where you need a moral compass mm-hmm. to say here are my principles. That's where you need habit of virtue to say this is how I do this. I, I tell them the self-talk, positive self-talk of saying this is how I do it. You know, this is how we do it in my family. These are very useful things to say this is how i am you know to say honesty well this is how i am you know this is stuff that often we do the self-talk that's very negative and actually this is trainable that you can have new self-talk and you can teach it to yourself and just keep saying it keep saying it i've done this several times in my my own life i do it all the time to say let's say i want to do more of the dishes at home because i, I want to be fair and i think this is something You'd rather have me do the dishes than the cooking. Huh? So I was like, okay, let me do the dishes. And then you, but you have to resent it, then you resent it every time, and you have to remind you. And you can just do the self talk and say, I'm the dishes guy. This is what I'm doing. Like, that's what I do. That's me. And so the dishes guy, that's me. And you can do this until you do this without, without two thoughts, you know, because of the self talk. And I know it sounds silly until you try it, and then you realize that this is very good. 
it's huge. I mean, yeah. I, you know, you remind me of the idea of a meme. And, yeah. you know, I'm the dishes guy is kind of like a meme, mm -hmm. right? But some people have, I'm the stupid guy. Exactly. Or I'm the weak guy. Yeah. And those are really dangerous yeah. memes. And the reason it's such a privileged place that, that we're in, you know, we have incoming freshmen. And those memes can be implanted very easily in somebody's life in the first semester of college, if they haven't been already. I'm sad to say that they have a lot of bad memes implanted in them. I did, and I see that I they sure did, did too. Yeah. And I also, I, I thought I was stupid. I had very strong learning disabilities. I have ADHD and dyslexia, like on steroids. I was probably a challenging kid. And then, but if you're challenging, you, you end up thinking you're stupid, right? And um, we have a lot of students like that. And I help them, identi I identify them. They're my people. And this is also why I'm happy that you're now here and that we have different approaches. There's some of the kids who jive with me and there will some who jive with you because we're different. And so then they find somebody who they're going to say, this guy, this person understands me. And, and it's that, then you have the privilege to deposit some new memes that you want to be very, it's actually with your employees. If you, if you hear this and you manage somebody or if you hear this and you have kids, Think of just creating a meme for them and then just say it once in a while. To say, you know, you're so... And say something positive. And recognizing a gift that they have. Yeah. I, sure I heard... And, and to also just say, be have the positive affirmation. I don't remember where I heard this, but some priest in a homily once said, to all you fathers out there, I want you to know that your role model... More than St. Joseph is God himself, God the Father, who was the actual father of Jesus, and he only spoke about him publicly twice. And both times he said the same thing. Mm. Both times he publicly acknowledged his pleasure in his son. This is my son with whom I am very pleased. pleased yeah. When have you done that last time? If you, have, if you listen to this and you have kids, when is the last time you did this? Isn't this what we're all craving for? Mm. And God models it for us. And yet how, how often I, I, you can't go back and say, well, my dad didn't. Well, then you do. Right. Yeah. And, and, and then when you're an employee, one of the things that was so beautiful with JP2 is that when I was when I introduced him my, to my parents and, you know, I was, of course, proud and everything. He could have done some small talk or something, but he didn't. He complimented me in front of my parents. I tell you, that creates memes for life. Now, if you're the manager, if you're the teacher, and you ever get the privilege to meet somebody significant in this person's life, you're the meme creator, and you have that responsibility. And just come up with some genuine things to say, honest things to say. Even if you repeat them once in a while with different people because you see the same thing, you should be ready to hand out positive memes like that. Mm. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I've I've had some some negative memes implanted in my life, especially with you know a blow up of a company, and yeah, that'll you know, do it. That'll do it. That'll do it. So, um, you know, just to, in closing, uh, do you have any sort of parting words for Catholics in particular who are in business? And I've been one of these Catholics, and I kind of had to figure things out as I went along. I didn't feel like I had a lot of support and a lot of people that could relate to uh, my life as a Catholic entrepreneur. What would you tell Catholics who are in business that are struggling to understand, you know, what does the church actually teach about my vocation? 
what resources do I have available to me as a Catholic who is in business? So right away, the Andrew's book comes uh, to mind. Andrew Abella and Joe Capizzi wrote a book called A Catechism for Business. And it's like written in the Baltimore Catechism style, which there's a question and answer and question and answer. And the answers are always based on magisterial writing. So writing that is either from the council or from the pope and encyclical, something authoritative. That's, that's very good. There's also a booklet that the Council for Justice and Peace has written called The Vocation of Business. That's a, that's a very useful booklet as well. There's the Compendium of the Catholic Catechism. But one thing that I'd like to leave you with as an inspiration, and that is put together a board of directors, a board of advisors, if you wish, and think of who that could be. And let me suggest that the chairman should be Jesus himself. So that you take, and you have board meetings, I don't know, once a month, if you needed more, do more. And since uh, the chairman of the board isn't going to come to you, you go to him. So you go, bring your legal pad. This is something JP2 did. Bring your legal pad or your computer or whatever and go to adoration or go into a church and be in front of the Blessed Sacrament and say, okay, Jesus, here I am. That would be a good time to talk with me. And to just meditate through. Jesus is perfectly fine with you talking about your business or about your money problems or anything or your marketing campaign or sales campaign. And then also say, who else would be good? And think of certain saints that appeal to you, maybe your name saint, maybe your guardian angel and so on. And then start to interact and think, think and pray with them and start to see what comes of this. A lot of the deep insights I've received on Catholic business and on specific actions I should undertake came from that. So as so I leave you with that as a, as a very fruitful idea. Got it. And of course, The Pope and the CEO, which is Andreas's book, I, I highly recommend. And this is, uh, I know Andreas, part of the vision of the Sioka Centers as well, to be a resource mm-hmm. for Catholics in business. Right? Um, yes, we want to, we want to sort of be the Catholic... Uh, business center, if you wish, with the Catholic University of America, so with the Pope's University here. And we want to be that resource center that people can come and get spiritually and, and professionally recharge. If you have specific needs or ideas, we're all ears. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty that we're, we're a growing organization. We are a young and a dynamic organization and we're, we're all ears. We're open to ideas, but also if you have specific issues or troubles, Try us out. Maybe we can help. Great. Andreas, thanks so much for the conversation. Thank you. uh, Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this InScape podcast. To learn more about InScape and the many resources we provide to help people discover, embrace, and live to the full their unique personal vocations, please go to InScapeVocations.com. Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com, featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith, not just a profile picture. For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com, and the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website is ready to help single Catholics take the next step in sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics. Remember, CatholicSingles.com, for faith, fellowship, and love.